prepare yourselves for a journey through history. Get equipped for adventure. Grab your power gloves and super scopes, for it's dangerous to go alone. This is the Legend of Retro. Welcome to this week's Legend of Retro podcast. I am the hero of time, Chops, and with me is the Dark Lord, Craig WK. Thanks for having me, Chops. <laughs> no problem. I feel I feel like that if if in this episode we had to choose roles, you would definitely absolutely be Ganondorf and I would be Link. Or uh- just the dog version of Link, really. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Chops, uh, if I have any piece of the Triforce, it's absolutely power. Absolutely. I, and, I'm sure it must be. Um, to, uh, to lead into what we're talking about today, we're talking about The Legend of Zelda, The Twilight Princess. And, um, Craig, why don't you give us those sweet, sweet release dates for this game? Yeah, so The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess was released on November 19th, 2006 for the Nintendo Wii. In this action-adventure game, a young man named Link, who lives in a tiny village, learns he's destined to be a hero when monsters attack and kidnap the children of his home. Now, I feel like for any Legend of Zelda game, minus the children being taken from his home every single legend of zelda game i think starts with that first like most of that first sentence right or was it safe to assume that uh breath of the wild i guess is about the only one that doesn't is it really well read that first beginning again that 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 sentence uh yeah let me uh bring it up here for you i A young man named Link, who lives in a tiny village, learns he's destined to be a hero when monsters attack and kidnap the children of his home. Okay, so I guess the only difference is uh, Link wakes up and realizes he needs to save Hyrule? Uh, Right? I I guess that would be the equivalent of of Breath of the Wild? Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. He wakes up and has no idea what's going on. Uh... Yeah, I, I suppose uh, Link to the Past is a little different because you don't live in a village. You live with your uncle. Uh, yeah. And I guess the very first Zelda is just some old you man start. in a cave is like, yeah, take this sword and kill things. Here, child. Play with this sword. It's Run dangerous. along now. Run along now. Dangerous to um, go alone. Take so, this. So this was the 13th installment in the series, I think, at the time. Um, That's a lot of games. Which is, which I was, yeah, when I saw it said 13th, I was like, had there been that many games? Really? <laughs> like, I don't count the CDI ones, but I, I'm assuming it did. But then I also remember there was three Zelda games on Game Boy alone. Yeah. Or exactly, by this yeah. time, because I don't think Four Swords was out yet. Was it in two, by 2006? Uh, I think Four Swords Adventure might have been out. Hmm. Yeah, it would have had to have been, because that was on GameCube, and this was, like, one of the last GameCube games. Okay, yeah, so, like, 13th, wow. Like, and this is 2006. And then since then, we've not nearly gotten as much, I don't think. No, no, uh, we have not. Uh, We uh, uh, Unless you count the remakes or or HD remasters. I don't. Uh, So, here's the thing. I think that they've done a very good job making sure that all the Legend of Zelda games have been very high quality 
uh, as time has gone by. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not rushing out crummy games, at least. But yeah, back then, we were getting way more Zelda games. Oh, yeah. Like you said, there was three on the Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. You had Oracle of uh, Ages, Oracle of Seasons, and Link's Awakening. Well, I guess... Not to mention... Uh, oh, okay, so those conclude Game Boy Advance. You mean Game Boy would be Link's Awakening. They had Link to the Past released on there. Well, no, and... not on the original Game Boy. Are you sure? I thought it was. Game Boy Advance had a, a port of it. And oh, okay. Technically, Game Boy Color had the Oracle uh, of Ages and Seasons. Right, right. Uh, so I, I guess I guess it's not entirely truthful to say three Game Boy games for Legend of Zelda, but they're basically Game Boy games. <laughs> they're basically Game Boy games, and, like, all those handheld systems, like, release so quickly, I feel like, after another. So, like, those, those games just blur, in my opinion, between Game Boy uh, to Game Boy Color to Advance to DS... It's just a blur for me. It, it is a bit of a blur for me as well. I, I think the, the systems themselves are fairly unique if you get down to the, the brass tacks of things. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, for me as well, it felt like Game Boy to Game Boy Pocket to Game Boy Color to Game Boy Mini or Micro, Micro and then the Advance. Yep. And it was just like, wow, that is a lot of little bits. And yes. don't be wrong, the Advance was amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, all those Game Boy systems were fairly similar. I guess Advance stepped it up a bit, but... Uh, and then this game released on two systems as well. Um, you had it for the Wii, first. and you had it in GameCube. Well, yes, not at first. The The idea wasn't Wii to begin with. Yeah, so uh, are you familiar with kind of how all that debacle went? Uh, to an extent, yes. So yeah, for our listeners... Uh, basically, uh, Eiji Aonuma went to Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto, and was like, hey, let's do another Zelda game, but the cel-shaded look wasn't a big hit in America. We got a lot of flack for that, and we see that the sales weren't as high in America as they were Japan, so let's switch it to a more realistic Zelda. Yeah, because they were originally planning on creating, like, a sequel to... Wind Waker, using yep. its same assets, building the game out with that same aesthetic, because I think Japan really, really liked it. Um, and like you said, uh, I mean, I was not a fan of Wind Waker, mostly because of how it looked. But Honestly, uh, I loved Wind Waker. I will say, at first, I thought that it was a little cartoony, and I was like, I don't know if I like this. And then I played it, and it was a ton of fun, and it was like, oh, right, graphics don't really matter that much. Like, they matter a <laughs> it, bit. It depends. It, yeah, so the when it comes to style, it doesn't matter. And like like aesthetic. When it comes to like um, realism and gameplay or like like frame rate and things like that, then it does matter. I feel yeah. Oh sure, like things like frame rate. Yeah, it, the the how your the game performs. Sure, yes, that definitely yes. matters. But yeah, the aesthetics at the end of the day, so long as the game is fun, that's the most important thing. Right. I uh, but I. Uh, you know. So, so anyway, Eiji Aonuma went to Shigeru Miyamoto and said this, and Miyamoto basically kind of had our approach, uh, outlook, I should say, and said, well, rather than worry about the graphics, how about you worry about gameplay? Uh, right. And he, he essentially gave Aonuma the task of, like, you know, we couldn't do horseback combat 
in uh, Ocarina of Time, and that's something that we've not really been able to do, work on that. Like, that's my task to you. So Aonuma went to the, the project and perfected the, the, maybe not perfected, but like, you know, got the uh, horseback combat down pretty well. And went to Miyamoto and was like, hey, we're going to go ahead and do a realistic-looking Zelda. Uh, and that's the where the weird thing comes from. So this was supposed to be on the GameCube. I think that Minish Cap is the main reason why this ended up being a game for the Wii and then later released for GameCube because that version was delayed. So... I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at that, but also what I in my research I saw that Wii was in development at the time of this game's development, so it was still a revolution. And they had planned on a GameCube release already. Mm-hmm. But because of the new system coming out, they wanted to incorporate the new fighting mechanics with the the Wii remote and the nunchuck. And so they delayed release of the GameCube one which I saw in my research, they delayed it so that they could get the Wii one up to par and be able to release them within the same amount of time as each other. Yeah, and um, here's the thing too, though, is uh, uh, essentially, according to Eiji Aonuma, he started up Twilight Princess Project and then moved on to become the uh, producer for Minish Cap. That game completed... And when he came back, apparently things weren't going very smooth. <laughs> I think that if Eiji Aonuma stayed on the project, it probably would have been a GameCube release. And then they would have tried to do a, a an early Wii Zelda game later. Be- but because of the fact that it had been delayed, I think you're right. That they were like, oh, well, let's go ahead and slap it on the Wii. And then they were like oh, these gimmicky controls aren't really working out the way we want them to. Uh, let's go ahead and see what we can do here. Well, yeah, and, and I, well, so I feel like it's hard with Nintendo because I, I feel like you, the, when they come up with their weird gimmicky ideas, uh-huh. the heads expect everyone to fall in line and fully embrace whether they want to or not. And so the idea of like, them wanting to use the sword or the the Wii remote as the sword swings and be able to aim and shoot the bow and arrow like they're just like you, basically they they probably told them like you have to do this oh, like sure. I don't I don't care what's ha- we don't care what your your complaints are you have to do this and then even so they mention how they were originally planning on making a, a sequel to this game with the same assets that these had because this game had at the time the most assets of any Legend of Zelda game they've ever released and. Mm-hmm. But E.G. Enumo was like, well, it doesn't have to be anything like super in-depth. It'll sell regardless. So they made Link's crossbow training, and that's how Link's crossbow training got made. So I think it was just like this idea of like, eh, we have what we have. We have to make something for it. We're just going to make this. We're just going to do this and get the game out and then deal with the the goofy controls as as like you said they are the gimmicky controls um because honestly i don't think they had a choice (laughs) oh yeah no i i think you're absolutely right i think nintendo got it in their heads that the wii was a revolutionary idea and to a degree it is Mm -hmm. uh but i think they basically slapped on waggle controls and 
you know, on one hand, I went through uh, Zelda on the Wii myself. Like, that's how I first played it, because I wanted to play it sooner. Me too. Me too. And I don't think it was, like, horrid. It wasn't like the controls were terrible. It was gimmicky, though. It was like, you know, I was just lying back. It wasn't like I was standing up and pretending I was swinging a sword for real. I was lying on my couch and just waggling my hand back and forth and swinging a sword. Exactly. Like it, the the technology wasn't there to where like you needed to do full full movement to swing a sword, which right. you know the Wii was what it was. But I did the same thing. I I, play, I beat it on the Wii. I don't think I ever bought it for the GameCube. And it's hilarious to me that the reason why it's mirrored in the Wii version from the GameCube is because you're holding the Wii remote in your right hand. And Anuma was like, it just feels awkward that he swings it with his left hand when you're swinging with your right. Uh And so they're like, all right, we'll just mirror it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I guess that's a solution. It's weird because Link is supposed to be left-handed. He's left-handed in like every other video game. And yeah, Anuma was like, oh, man, this seems weird. You swing with right, and then he swings to the left, and I'm sure somebody behind him was like, uh, Mr. Onuma, I don't think that matters. And he was like, no, it does. Mirror it. <laughs> well, and um, as much as, like, this game was supposed to be a realism, it kind of felt like to me, and they even said it, because of the poor sales, they just took what Ocarina Time was and what they couldn't do and then made this game. Yeah. And it, and it just kind of feels like that's what this game was meant to be, was almost meant to be Ocarina Time 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Uh, basically the darker version of what you wanted Ocarina Time to be. Uh, to a, yeah, to a degree, I agree with you. I, I think that, uh, and honestly, though, I, I think it started earlier than that. I think Link to the Past came out and they were like, mm-hmm. let's do a 3D version of Link to the Past. We got right, exactly. time. And then they were like, well, we want a, an edgier version. Uh, let's go ahead and do Twilight Princess. And and that's right. kind of been this weird, like, uh, domino effect, uh, you know, that started with Link to the Past, which arguably was because of Zelda 1 and going back to their roots. But right. I, I feel like that formula was really kind of perfected, if you will, in Link to the Past, where it's like, yeah, first few dungeons are kind of uh, easy, and then the rest get a little bit more challenging. There's around eight of them. All right, let's do it. Did you um, did you see your research that the designers actually went and did horseback riding? I did, yeah. I, I actually think that's kind of neat. <laughs> it um, was, and then the fact that they commented, like, well, they were unable to master fighting on horseback. I'm like, no, no crap. Like, right. who would these days? Like, unless that becomes your job, you ain't going to master it, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I will say, uh, I wouldn't say that the, the horseback combat is, like, the best in any video game ever by any stretch. Uh, but I will say that it is very fun. They did a pretty good job with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I mean, it works itself into a lot of different facets of the game. A lot of different events in the game require you to be on horseback and fighting things uh but uh chops let's talk a little bit about the story because the story is weird and dark it's it's like the yeah it's it's way darker than ocarina time um 
basically, like we had said in the beginning, Link lived in this village, and this village was attacked, and these children were taken. And in Link's attempt to rescue these children, he <laughs> gets turned into a wolf from, like, this weird Twilight creature, which Twilight is supposed to represent, like, darkness yeah. uh, in the game. Um, and it's this it's definitely just the whole game is just a struggle of light and dark <laughs> oh sure yeah but absolutely uh but i will say that there are some interesting wrinkles on it and we'll get to some spoilers uh, uh in a bit but uh yeah so link turns into a wolf and that's a play on link to the past yet again mm -hmm. it all comes back to that where there was a light world and a dark world and the developers were like yeah let's go ahead and roll with that again and in Link to the Past, uh, for those who've played it, they know when Link goes to the Dark World without a magic item called the Moon Pearl, the Dark World transforms his appearance. It reflects what's in your heart, is what the Dark World does to you. And so in that game, Link became a bunny rabbit. He couldn't fight, and he had to like get this <laughs> item. But in yes. this game, the, the reflection of Link within his heart is a wolf, and I feel like that's a pretty cool idea. I, I'm i not a huge fan of the wolf segments of the game. I don't hate them, but I do think that, like, it's kind of the reason I wasn't a big fan of Majora's Mask. It was like, why can't I just be Link? Why do I got to be all these other guys? Right. And did you see how they came up with the idea of a, of a wolf? Uh, no. Oh, was it the dream? Mm, I don't know about this. You go with that. Mine's something way less exciting. <laughs> uh, so uh, apparently Ajiao Numa, uh, while on a business trip, had a dream, a nightmare, where he was a wolf trapped in a cage. And he woke up in, in such shock and kind of like, you know, like kind of disbelief that he didn't really know where the heck he was when he first woke up. He like woke up in a panic. And that stuck with him, and that's kind of why he started to roll with this, like, wolf idea I heard. So what what, was, what is it that you heard? Mine was just simply that he suggested Link transform into a wolf at, like, a whim, on a whim, and the idea just stuck. I wonder... <laughs> that it was just like a, like, he threw it out there, that they wanted him to transform, and they're like, yeah, let's have him transform into a wolf. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess are you going to argue with the the, di the director of the game, you know? No, no, God, no. Uh, but he, he also I, knows what he's doing. Eiji Aonuma has worked on a lot of Zelda games. Right, and then apparently Miyamoto didn't like the idea because he thought the idea of looking at a four-legged creature from behind would not be uh, as exciting. I mean, he's not entirely wrong. <laughs> so, so you know what the solution they came up with was? Was that... Put a character to ride him on his back. <laughs> I mean, it worked, I guess. But, like, this idea that Midna wasn't even a main character when they decided this, they're just like, yeah, put this character on his back. And then it slowly enveloped and became a main character in the plot. Um, it's I, just crazy to me. It is. And, and I gotta say, uh, of all of Link's helpers, Navi, Tattle, uh, uh, what was it, uh, in Skyward Sword. Oh, all, I never played that one. All of those helper characters are typically kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. Midna has some personality. And I function. like Midna. Yeah, function as well. Uh, she She's integral to the story. It's not just like a, a fairy that follows you around because they were assigned to follow you around. Right. Uh, 
you know, I, I feel like they did a very good job making your quote-unquote obnoxious helper character mean something. Like, by the end of the game, Midna means a lot. Like, it's, it's you know, the game involves her greatly. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think they did a good job with that. And it doesn't hurt that she's just this little gremlin. Basically, yeah. She's just like a little evil-looking gremlin that rides on the back and has the ability to, like, manipulate stuff. Yeah, and this little eventually, imp. Yeah, eventually she's more, becomes restored, we'll say, to her her previous form, which is, like, real again, also really weird, just, like, a really a beautiful woman. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's a little we're, odd. Way to go, creeps. Well, I, I guess they're also trying to, to show that juxtaposition between Zelda and her, like, you know, the light yes. and dark. Uh, which I don't think that necessarily makes it right, but I think that's yeah. what they were hopefully going for rather than just like, oh, here's another beautiful woman. Right. And um, did you know that they purposefully made Link? <laughs> okay, so this is, this is again, this is the Nintendo trying not to ruin their, their own thing. Um, they purposefully made Link less cool in this game because they thought if he was more cool that he wouldn't be as relatable and that he would it would not sell as well. So they made him have like weird reactions to things, be a little goofy on stuff, dress a little differently so that he was less cool. I uh, here's the thing. I love that that conversation happened that like in Nintendo they like looked at Link and they were like he's pretty and, like, Miyamoto and Aonuma were like, well, yeah, he's been pretty for a while. He's Link. He's a kind of a, you know, a little on the effeminate side. He's sort of elf-like. He has these ears. He's, he's you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of... And they were like, we hate it. Give him a dumb, dopey expression. What is that, a cool outfit? Get rid of that. Put him in stupid clothing. Yeah, that's why they what? gave him the tights, and apparently in Ocarina Time. That's so weird to me that, I mean, because, you know, let's face it. Gamers aren't looking at Marcus Phoenix in, in, you know, Gears of War. And they're like, oh, he's a little too ripped. I don't know that I can relate enough. I better stop playing this game. He's too cool. He he kills too well. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, I don't know if, if that's something. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know that there's ever been a game character that anyone has been like, oh, he's too cool, I can't get behind him. Because that's what you want to be. Right, exactly. Gamers so in it, particular. I know, right. So it just it, it bothered me that they, that they had this conversation and they purposely made him not cool. And Miyamoto wasn't really into this game. I'm not surprised. It, it really, for as much as, the, as it is a, a very you know, by the numbers Legend of Zelda game, bunch of dungeons, you know, a big field to run around in, yada, yada. You know, they throw in the wolf stuff. Uh, they have a much darker storyline. Uh, you know, they... Uh, uh, There's a little bit more of a um, fighting mechanic to it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like moves you learn. There's a little bit more meaning behind it, too, with the the soldier that you learned the moves from who oh. didn't is passing them on to you because you didn't get to pass them on when he was alive, which is like super heart wrenching. It's this ghost that basically is unfinished business. Um, 
like Miyamoto said, and I, and I love that in my research, I found a quote that he said to MTV. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> weird. And I don't know how reliable MTV is, but go ahead. He said, what I've been saying to our developer development teams recently is that Twilight Princess was not a bad game by any means. But still, it felt like there was something missing. That's, and I don't I'm, I don't know what he means by that. I don't really either, because it's basically what he wanted. It's a Legend of Zelda game that got that horseback riding stuff he wanted done. Right, right. And uh, honestly, of the, the Legend of Zelda games, it's... It's probably in my, like, top list. I, I really enjoyed Twilight Princess a lot. It's mine, too, mostly because of how grittier it is. Like, the, uh, I, when I watched the speedruns of this, I was comparing it to Breath of the Wild's graphics. And while Breath of the Wild is, is more of a refined Twilight Princess, it's not as gritty. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, looking at the moblins or the whatever goblin creature dudes that you look at and comparing them to Twilight Princess, they're much more menacing. Even the the piranha plant like they're like the the plants that shoot up with the oh the deku deku babas or whatever they are they're they're in twilight princess they have sharper teeth a tongue that like falls out and like drool around their mouths compared to like other games like they would just be like a pretty looking flower like to in in respect to breath of the wild and so like I appreciate that. I appreciate that grittierness because it is a darker series storyline. Like it's a hero that's saving the world from an evil that takes over completely. So like, I feel like it needs to be darker. And this is kind of like, I I wish Ocarina time could have been this dark, but obviously you have to get to this point. And so like, I appreciated when this game came out, how gritty, how dark it was, how like sometimes like, muted it looked when you're in the twilight world like they they did such a good job with changing the aesthetic and the and the colors uh depending on where you were at and what realm you were in that it, it just felt to me like a more mature zelda game that i really 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 enjoyed yeah and i i enjoyed that they did a good job of of hearkening back to previous zelda games uh you know like when you find out what the 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 twilight twilight uh, the the race of you know uh, uh, people that are like you know what Midna is a part of that right. uh, Zant is which I'll get to Zant because I hate him a lot uh, but uh, you know it's basically it was like a cabal of magic users that were like you know trying to get into the Golden Land and uh, you know the the uh, the spirits of light that were created by the goddesses or whatever were like ah that's not a good idea and banished them to this world of darkness. Yeah, and and it that ties into Majora's Mask a little bit too. Uh, and it's you know linked to the past, the imprisoning war, Ocarina of yep. Time. You know they did a very good job of of bringing up all of those old stories and tying them in together. Uh, and spoiler alert the you know you have uh zant is the main villain throughout it until you get towards the end and it's a bit of a predictable move at this point i think but uh zant who's this creep from the twilight world you found out that he didn't have the capacity for magic he couldn't learn the magic or or didn't wasn't taught the magic that like uh the royal family knew and so he called out to the darkness, and the darkness answered, and that darkness is Ganondorf Dragmire. Right, right. 
Uh, and so the final battle is uh, probably one of the coolest final battles of a Zelda game. It is. You have to fight the possessed Zelda, which is just crazy and amazing. Crazy weird. Uh, then you fight uh, Ganon in his like pig monster form. Then you have to fight Ganondorf on horseback with Zelda on your back shooting arrows of light. Mm-hmm. And then you have a one-on-one duel with him. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's probably some of the most uh, epic fighting that that has been in a final battle. Yeah, the, they did a a really really good job uh, with that, and like you know the fact that the final dungeon is Hyrule Castle, right? Uh, you know, it's it's just they did a really good job with the thematics of the game, uh, and it's. It's interesting because I feel like uh, when it first came out, everyone loved it. And then time went by, and I felt like a lot of people were like, oh, it's too angsty, and oh, I, I miss, uh, you know, uh, Wind Waker. Oh, that was so much better. And, like, in my head, I'm like, well, I really enjoyed Wind Waker. I think they did an awesome job. I, I think that that might be about one of my favorite 3D Zelda games but I don't really know where all the hatred for Twilight Princess popped up. Uh, though I guess if you just look at the reviews, it, you know, it scored amazingly well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand why I don't why many people don't like it as much either. Um, I, I'm thinking that maybe because it's so closely related to Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time, it just kind of blurs in that. I could see in that. In that story, you know? Um you know, like when I think back to my first time I played it, it's hard for me to pick out any memorable moments. I don't rem- other than the last battle, and that's it. I don't. And the first time you turn into a wolf, those are the only two points uh, that I like. I distinctly remember. The only other moment that's really vivid in my mind is when it suddenly becomes a spaghetti western, and you're in that like. Uh, 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 dusty desert town, and you have your bow and arrow, and you have to kill all the like mo- uh, the moblins or whatever they are mm-hmm. running around. For some reason, that scene was really distinct to me uh, because it kind of felt like it became a western in the middle of a Zelda game. <laughs> well, the the game has like it becomes a western. It becomes like a horror game, mm-hmm. um, an adventure movie. Like it because there's those weird parts where like there's like the shadow links. And then the other link, and it like zooms in on him, and he doesn't have any pupils, and it's like really weird. Yeah, they did a, a good job of making things unnerving. Uh, yes, uh, which is not something that you typically see in Zelda games. So I, I'm excited that even if there's not a lot of other games like Twilight Princess in the series, and it's kind of a bit of a sore thumb uh, uh, in that sense, I'm glad that that's there. Because, to be honest, a lot of people talk about how Majora's Mask is super dark. And yeah, it has some pretty dark elements. But, I don't know, the the whimsical nature of, of changing your appearance with masks and, and stuff like that. Sort of, it's weird for sure, but I feel like Majora's Mask is a little more weird than it is dark. I would agree with that. It definitely is more weird than dark. Yeah, and, and, you know, I wouldn't say that it's not dark in some capacity, for sure. I mean, the moon is going to crush a town in three days. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's dark. 
you know. And the moon has a face. Yeah, it's, but then again, that gets into more weird, weird category. Weird. Yeah, I know, I know. So, now, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask Chops, uh, a quick question. What is uh, your favorite or some of your favorite items in the game? Uh, I really like the, the boomerang, the Gale boomerang. That's pretty cool. That one was, was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed turning into the wolf, even though it wasn't like as exciting or functional as link mm -hmm. it was still like he howled <laughs> songs you know oh that was so great that was so dumb but it was that's great he would dig under stuff like it's just cute no that that is very true i uh i appreciated that in this game like the team sat down and they're like what can we do better than a hook shot and they were like two hook shots yeah right and so you get the the double claw hook shot thing or whatever it is that lets you hook shot up pull yourself up and then hook shot to other things yeah that was cool. it's crazy uh i also it was it, much in the 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 same vein of you talking about the wolf transformation not being as functional one of my favorite items in the game is one of the dumbest zelda items ever it's that stupid top from the arbiter's grounds or whatever I don't remember this. You jump on like a dreidel and go like spinning around. <laughs> don't remember this item. It's probably for the best you don't remember it. It was stupid, but I loved it. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I was going to bring up something that I, mm -hmm. I thought would be strange. Yeah. So April 20th of the same year. Does that mean anything to you? April 20th of the same year. Uh not off the top of my head. Okami was released in the same year oh. as Twilight Princess. Huh. Another wolf-based game. And, like, I looked at the fighting mechanics, and they're extremely similar. And so I'm wondering, in your, in your opinion, do you think that had any play on... I mean, like, it's in the same year. So obviously it didn't change any of the development. But do you think that had any play on its release or or any impact to the game? And maybe why it didn't sell well uh, or, or I don't know, maybe why it's not as remembered as much is because earlier in that year, you had one of the best games released by that company, Okami, which has been like, you know, immortalized in the, in the PS2 releases. Yeah. So Okami was a different develop developer. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so so it's not like, you know, they were sharing ideas Capcom. internally. Huh? It was Capcom. Yeah, Capcom. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't like they were sharing ideas internally. But I will say that, you know, it came out in November. If that game was out in April, there's something else we got to consider. And that's the fact that they would have known about it before that. You know, there would have been promotional materials and stuff. Probably, yeah. I, I'm sure that it probably did have some impact on the game itself. And I think that uh, there is a good chance that, uh, you know, when people were talking about this game, you know, it was like, oh, well, did you like Okami? If yes, then go ahead and get this game because it's Legend of Zelda, but you also are a wolf. Mm -hmm. I, I could see that playing a big role in, in the early days of this uh, game's release, for sure. I thought it was strange. Like, I, I didn't didn't realize until i was doing my research that they had came out in the same year which is like of things to align that's so strange yeah absolutely uh that that is definitely weird 
Uh, but, uh, Chops, uh, do you happen to have any information on uh, speedrunning stuff? Yeah, so there's a lot of categories for this game. There's also, I didn't even know what this thing existed. Um, the formats to play this game on are Wii and GameCube, okay? Yeah, yeah. There's a third way you can play this game. Uh, the HD remake? No. In China, they had a thing called the NVIDIA Shield. What? Which was like a way to play the game. Um, so the speedrun categories consist of you can play it on the GameCube. The, uh, uh, the GameCube and the NVIDIA Shield is one category, and then the Wii is another category, which I've never heard of the NVIDIA Shield, and I'll have to look that up at some point. But Yeah, I, I don't know what that is. I know uh, uh, systems in China are a little funny because of, like, you know, different, like, you know, like laws and regulations and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so it must just be... I guess the Nintendo, like a Nintendo system that was brought to China at that time. Uh, I'll have to look it up later. I have no idea. Uh, but what are some of your highlights from uh, uh, speedruns? So the any percent category, uh, this guy named Kedges, which is a German guy, um, beat the game in two hours, fifty-four minutes, and nine seconds. Very good. There's a ton of glitches in this game that allow you to skip, like in the beginning instead of like rescuing all the kids and then getting uh, your sword and shield and stuff, you yeah. can skip all that and you just glitch through a bridge, like a th through a barrier to get access to a bridge and then fall off the edge and then restart the game and you have your sword and shield and a tunic and everything already. Wow, <laughs> and weird. There's just like a ton of sequence breaks you can do in this game that basically in these in these games um, prior to newer ones that have updates and things um, essentially if a game has you in a point in the story in a loading area a loading zone a loading flag it assumes that you've gotten everything prior to then to get to that point so if you're able to jump to those flags you basically just get the things that it assumes that you should have interesting I guess so, that's, I guess that's just sort of a byproduct of the game being a little more linear. Yeah, it is, and it's and that's kind of that's very similar programming in most cases with with linear games is that if you're your the game looks to load certain things like the Paper Mario series, for example, has is rampant through this that if you're able to reach certain flags in the game, it assumes that you have the necessary items to get to that point and so so you just have them interesting huh. um, so the yeah so like i said two hours and 54 minutes and 90 94 or nine seconds wow um how long do you think the 100 percent run is oh uh that's got to be i mean it's a, a pretty long game i don't know uh eight hours six and a half oh um and then there's a ton of other categories in here, all dungeons, no save and quitting. There's also a bug limit, so like you can't do the glitch, like as many glitches as you can. And then they list out a whole list of like 15 glitches you can't do. <laughs> there's just so much you can glitch in this game. Running. That's crazy. I wouldn't have thought there were that many glitches. Uh, but I guess gaming in that era, especially as like 3D graphics were getting bigger and better, you know maybe the the developers understanding of that kind of power was a little out of their area of expertise and so you know it was just sort of lost on them and they they 
you know, have these glitches and errors. Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, the manipulations you can do, you know, with these games is pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but Chops, would you like to chat about the music for this game? Sure. I tell you what, let's go ahead and take a brief pause and hear a word from one of our partners. Imagine being stuck in a room for days, far from your friends and family while feeling sick and scared. Now, imagine being in that same room but having access to online gaming, virtual reality, 3D printing, Lego robotics, and the ability to create your own Twitch channel. At CS Mott Children's Hospital, we use video game technology to improve our patients' lives and help them reach their therapeutic goals. But we can't do it without your help. Every device and interaction provided to our patients is paid for by the thoughtful donations of gamers like you. If you want to help, then go to tiltify.com slash mottchildren. That's T-I-L-T-I-F-Y dot com slash M-O-T-T children. There, you can make a one-time donation or, if you're a content creator, learn how to stream for Mott. So if you want to help other gamers like you, please visit tiltify.com slash mottchildren and play for the little victors. All right, so chops. The music in this game, you might think, Koji Kondo, right? I would assume Koji Kondo. No, the music was composed by Toru Minigishi and Alska Ota, and was supervised by Koji Kondo. Oh, is this when he starts getting hands off? Yeah, this is around the time he starts going a little more hands off. Uh, so Toru Minigishi worked on Pokemon Stadium, Majora's Mask, Animal Crossing, Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, uh, Super Mario 3D World, Splatoon 1 and 2. Uh, so uh, Toru Minigishi has worked on quite a few games. Asuka Ota is a little more tricky. So I don't know if this is true or not. This might be completely sexist of me, and I have to apologize if that's the case. I keep finding that Alska Ota, her name keeps getting cross-referenced with Alska Hayazaki. And I think that she might have gotten married and had her name changed. Oh. I don't know 100%. So if I'm wrong, I apologize deeply. Uh, but from what I can tell, uh, Alska, whether it's Hayazaki, Ota, or both, uh, worked on Animal Crossing Wild World, New Super Mario Brothers, Mario Kart for the Wii, Spirit Tracks, and uh, Ring Fit Adventure, the, the new uh, workout game. The classic. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so let's go ahead and listen to uh, like a, a couple of songs each here. Uh, so first up is uh, one of the songs I chose. This is uh, the theme of Hyrule Field from Twilight Princess. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
enjoy that the song gets a little dark at times uh, because the typical Hyrule field themes are, you know, uh, really adventurous and stuff. Uh, but uh, in this song's case, it kind of reflects that darkness that's in this game and, you know, uh, does a good job of, of giving you that kind of sense of unease. Yeah, I think what you'll find in our in our picks is is homages to Ocarina of Time, just with a darker tone to them. Um, you know, more bass or more drum, um, a little bit more drawn out pat points in the songs. Um, and it's, I don't know if this is a memorable soundtrack by any means, but it's, it is good. I like it, but it, it does remind me a lot of Ocarina of Time. Yeah, it, I feel like you're right. I feel like it's not as memorable as some of the others, but there are a few songs in there that are that are definitely stand out and aren't necessarily just, uh, uh, you know, uh, rehashes. Now, uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, one of your picks, Chops. This is King Boblin, uh, the one of the recurring enemies of this game. Uh, let's go ahead and give this theme a listen. really enjoy how how uh, bombastic uh, that is. It is. It builds. It's got these weird triplets in the beginning, and then it just has a steady beat throughout it. The the whole a lot of the songs in this game have like a weird like reverb or like backwards sound to it, mm-hmm. um, which comes into there. And then it at the end thumping beat with that little bit of dissonance where the sounds don't quite match up just create like enough menace and anxiety that it just it's it's so weird but like i appreciate the fact that it makes me uneasy a little bit because it's such a an ending song it seems like oh yeah absolutely it's a lot of this soundtrack is very unnerving and stuff uh now let's go ahead and listen to another one of your themes 
Mm-hmm. This is uh, the theme of Death Mountain uh, from Twilight Princess. Let's go ahead and give this a listen. really enjoy that uh chops i i think that might be one of my favorite goron themes it is and it's simplistic because it's percussion and brass that's all it is mm-hmm. and it and it's a weird mix of timpani um snare and then marimba in the background and then an off tone and an off B marimba that comes in later with these like weird just blaring brass sounds which i just like i don't know it, the, it, it's complex without having so many parts yeah. and it's like and it's and it to me is is like the best version of the goron song like i completely remember ocarina times song from listening to this but then when it chimes in with the the tuba and and the other brass instruments it just it elevates it to a different level even though it's again brass and percussion yeah it's so it's it's really really well done yeah i really like that theme quite a bit Uh, And to round it all out and to finish us up on uh, Twilight Princess music here, we're going to go ahead and listen to uh, uh, kind of a somber song. Uh, This is the song known as Midna's Lament. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
it's almost like a uh 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 I, I would say it's very reminiscent of like a piano version of like the Hyrule field theme. Yeah, it's um I always love like single piano pieces in games because most of the time you are filled with more orchestral or more uh, techno or, or whatever beats but then there's just something simple and defining in itself of just a simple piano piece it has some strings that come kind of come in but the majority of the song is just a single piano yeah um a good example of this is if you've played i am setsuna which is a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. The person who created the game also did the soundtrack, and it's completely piano. The whole game is. Yeah. And there's so much depth and storytelling you can do through the piano, just like with this song that, and that you can get in that game. So, um, you know, you really feel like there's a bit of sadness in this song. Mm-hmm. You don't know what it is, but you feel it because of that lonely piano playing through it. Yeah, absolutely. I it, couldn't have said it better myself. It's It's a beautiful theme and it is there's a lot of sadness to it uh but uh yeah chops as as far as that goes when it comes to chatting about twilight princess uh what are your kind of final thoughts on the game here i mean i need i feel like i i need to play it to remember it again but i don't have a drive to play it and i think that might be the downfall of the game is that it's it's really good it's it's a completely i don't want to say completely different Zelda game, but it's a grittier, darker Zelda game than what you have nowadays, which, like you said, is a good piece to have in its repertoire to put up against Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, Link to the Past. Like, it's a good piece to have as a measuring tool for the other games, because I don't think there's necessarily a bad main series Zelda game that I can think of, because I'm excluding CDI, which I will always exclude. Yes. But this game while it doesn't stand out i still think is is valuable to play for it being a place marker in the whole series of legend of zelda so um it's got unique combat systems it's got some unique fighting mechanics that i really enjoyed that i wish they would re-implement but um I, I would like to go back and play it. I don't think I will, but I definitely recommend if someone is looking for something different in a Zelda game, they should play this. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you, Chops. It, this is a, a great game, uh, though it doesn't have as much replayability, for sure. Uh, but what it does have, it has a, a kind of a darker, kind of more twisted story to a degree. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, at, at the end of the day, so long as the Zelda game has fun puzzles... You know, the that standard, you know, kind of level of excellence that Legend of Zelda games have when it comes to adventure games. Uh, you know, you, you can't beat it. Uh, but, you know, it, it is a little more dark. And so for some people, that might not be that great. Uh, though, I have to say that, you know, the villain Zant being a warlock in service to Ganondorf? Yeah. Wow. Excellent. It's, it's definitely... I feel like it's higher fantasy than what we've had before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's absolutely a game worth playing, uh, at least the once. You know, yeah, I, I can the HD remake for it now. So like, you, I think you can play it on the Switch, right? Oh uh, no, I think the Where's Wii U is when the HD remake came out. Did it? I'm gonna yeah. look it up. I think the Wii U has the the HD remake. Don't be wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that remake get moved to the Switch because. You know, the Switch is getting like every other game. 
Oh yeah, it did come out on the Wii U. So it's not super easy to play these days, but if you have a GameCube, a Wii, or a Wii U, three systems in a row, you have the ability to play this. Yep, there you go. Uh, But I tell you what, Chops, let's go ahead and jump on over to our Retro Rewind. Ready to go back in time? It's Retro Rewind. Grand Theft Auto 3. Now get into CDI, starting at $2.99. Say it. Suck it, suck it up! The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with power. All right, so Chops, we're talking about November of 2006. Uh, Now, typically, uh, the way I usually work it, if I'm a part of the Rewind, is I bring up the old Detroit Free Press from that day, November 19th, in this case, 2006, uh, but that's too recent for my database of Detroit Free Presses. Your your weird uh, vault of stacks on stacks on stacks of newspapers from that era. It's just too too current for you. It only goes to 1999. The darndest thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, instead, uh, you have uh, uh, sort of one of the major headlines that was going on uh, around this time in November of 2006. And I have some information on the songs, the movies and TV uh, from that time. So why don't you lead us off? Yeah, so in October, so a little bit before this game came out, um, Google purchased YouTube for $1.65 billion, which I think to this day still makes them way more money than they actually paid for it. I'm sure uh, it does. It's it's one of the craziest things that, to think about that, that only happened 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, also, it, during this year... Um, sadness was had on all throughout the world of astronomy when Pluto was downgraded to a dwarf planet from a regular planet. And what's great, Craig, is that there's an image that I'm looking at yeah. of like the sun setting up a camera on a tripod and all the planets are huddled together to go take the picture. And then Pluto's in the corner out of the photo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the funniest picture ever. Oh, um, it's just an ice cube floating around in space. It's not a planet. Basically, basically. <laughs> oh, all right, chops. Let's go through some uh, through some of the music. You ready for this? Let's do it. So the number one hit uh, that had been on the chart for ten weeks at number one was "My Love" by Justin Timberlake featuring Ti. Nice, nice. Uh, number two. Uh, was Smack That by Akon featuring Eminem. Ugh, gross. Number three, I like, I like Eminem. Akon, I mean, yeah, I it's the title. It's the title of the song. That ah, yes, that. <laughs> Fergalicious by Fergie was Ooh. number three. Mm. Irreplaceable by Beyonce uh, had hit number four. And Lips of an Angel came in at number five. By, by, by who? Hinder. Lips of an angel. That's the. That makes that's a that's a worse title than smack that, in my opinion. You're, yeah, but, you're right. You're right. I, I won't. I won't be afraid to admit I'm a JT fan. Oh yeah, no. Justin Timberlake is amazing. I I, I love him. I'm I'm very happy that he was number one on this list. I. Uh, 
as far as television goes, uh, November was kind of weird. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. Is there a Treehouse of Horror in there? Uh, no, this is all television debuts. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so, uh, November 3rd on Cartoon Network, Class of 3000. Have you ever heard know. of that? Nope. That was, uh, 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 oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, it's not jumping out at me. Uh, Andre 3000's, uh, uh, cartoon. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what Robin Big are, but they came to MTV. You don't know who Robin Big are? Uh, Rob, no. Rob, Rob uh, Drydeck or Dydeck or whatever his name is. He's or Deerdeck. He's a like skater slash um, fashion kind of owner of a company that that does a lot of clothes for com- for skating and things. Uh-huh. Um, basically, it's about his life with his giant bodyguard big and the crazy stuff that they do because he's so wealthy he could just basically do whatever he wants that would be why i did not watch that television show yeah. uh november saw uh, a few other things uh uh three pounds on cbs don't know what that is neither do i daybreak on abc nope uh tbs got 10 items or less that sounds a little familiar. And otherwise, uh, the uh, 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 reboot of Voltron went to Adult Swim. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm sure it's the reboot, not the original 1983-85 series. I mean, the anime reboot just came out on Netflix, and that was a Netflix original series, so it could be... <laughs> Either another obscure reboot or um, the original series. Uh, you know, it might be the original series. So I'm looking at the list of series for Voltron. You have the 83 to 85 series, the 1998 series, Voltron Force uh, from 2011, and then 2016, uh, Voltron Legendary Defender. So yeah, maybe it was the original series. That's crazy. Why would that be a debut? I don't understand. Ah, whatever. Uh, and now for movies uh, that came out uh, the week of uh, November the 17th. So a couple days before uh, 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 the, the Wii came out with uh, Twilight Princess. All right, Chop. So are you familiar with uh, the movie Bobby? No, no, I don't know what uh, that is. Emilio Estevez directed it and did the screenplay. Oh, so it's good? Question uh, uh, It's got a lot of big names. Lawrence Fishburne, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Helen Hunt, Lindsay Lohan? Oh, okay, you lost me there. Demi you Moore? Lost me there. Why are there so many? Emilio Estevez acted in it, too. I wonder what it's about. I have, oh, let me see if I can find out here for us. Uh, drama film uh, starring an ensemble cast. Uh... Fictionalized account of the hours leading up to June 5th, 1968, shooting of U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. So a historical movie. Gotcha. But Emilio Estevez plays him. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No. And Estevez himself is what it says. At first I thought it said Emilio Estevez plays himself, and I was like, is he a tiger? That's so weird. That's so weird if he did. Uh, We also have Fast Food Nation. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you've uh, uh, heard I've that heard one. of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, for your consideration. I've heard of that. Uh, we also have Happy Feet. Mm-hmm. Let's go to prison. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is either. Uh, from the movie poster, I don't think I want to know what it is. All right, good. Moving on. Comedy about prison. Yeah, hilarious. Uh, and finally, Casino Royale. Oh, okay. The gem of that year. Yes. The, it's certainly the gem of that month. That's for dang sure. <laughs> uh, although the next week, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny came out. That was a fun movie. Oh, no, one of those was nominated for an Oscar, probably. The other one wasn't. That's true, yes. Uh, it was uh, Pick of Destiny, weirdly enough. Yeah, totally weird. Best so, sound play. <laughs> crazy. Uh, so that was uh, November of 2006. Uh, but uh, Chops, we're, we're uh, uh, moving along to the uh, uh, music bracket we don't know the answers yet we don't it's a mystery to us all other than i'm out of it and i hate you all (laughs) understandably so hopefully i can get revenge for you chops i don't maybe one of my choices knocked you out and you hold a grudge i'm not sure yeah i hold a grudge to you all actually that's just what it is that's yeah that's understandable uh, so I tell you what, let's go ahead and uh, jump on over to one of our future versions of ourselves, a friend, we're not sure who, uh, but future Legend of Retro will take it from there. Thank you, Past Craig. This is Future Craig. Uh, I am here to bring you the finals of the stage theme bracket. Uh, this is absolutely exciting stuff, uh, and we have the two finalists and they're both amazing songs i honestly i i'm not sure how i'm going to vote just yet uh so while listening to this i'm gonna have to make a decision myself uh so up first from castlevania 2 simon's quest composed by kenichi matsubara satoe terashima and koji murata we have the silence of the daylight
so amazing. Such a great song. Uh, and it's going against another titan of video game music. This is from uh, Super Mario World, composed by Koji Kondo himself. This is the Overworld theme. song i uh, it, it honestly i i think that's uh gonna be the interesting thing with this matchup is you have kind of the gothic horror of castlevania and its music and then you have kind of the jaunty upbeat uh you know tunes of super mario world and i'm very curious what's going to win this one i uh, so i'm gonna go ahead and send this back on over to past craig and chops they're going to go ahead and take it from there. Uh, but thank you so much for listening to uh, the Legend of Retro and enjoying these brackets as we go through. And they're going to, of course, dive deeper into how you can uh, make your votes count. Man, Chops, the future is crazy. It is so crazy. It's so bleak. <laughs> <laughs> uh in case our, uh, uh, you know, future selves uh, did not mention, if you'd like to vote on uh, the bracket, make sure to join our Facebook group. We have a page in a group, and for some reason, Facebook kind of played around with how you can do polls, and we can only do them in the group now, so ask to join and we'll let you in. Uh, we have our Twitter account. Uh, if you join us on our Discord at GameZillaMedia.com, there's a link there. We have a vote up every week there. And then uh, if you're a member of our Patreon, uh, for as little as $1 per month, you get a bonus vote there as well. Uh, but Chops, what else do, uh, do our uh, patrons get? Uh, well, if they become a $5 member, they get an extra show from each of our podcasts on the GameZilla Media Network. And from us, that is the Game Shark episode that comes out monthly from Last Action Podcast. It is the post credit scene. And from Noobs and Dragons, it is behind the DM screen. And finally, GameZilla Podcast uh, 
monthly show is the Buster Bust. Uh, right? Yeah, I do believe so. Yep. And then uh, at a dollar, you also get uh, one monthly show from us called. Um, Oh my God, Craig, I had it and it just slipped my mind. State of the Zilla. State of the Zilla. Thank you. You saved me on that one. Yeah, State of the Zilla is fun uh, because it's just sort of random topics. Uh, it's just whatever we want to talk about. So uh, uh, Chops, myself, and uh, LPJ from Last Action Podcast have talked about toys before. Chops and I talked about One Piece. Uh, so if you like listening to us and you want more and more content uh, for as little as $1 a month, you can get that. And then for $5 a month, the you know, sky's the limit, basically. The uh, sky is the limit. So make sure to go ahead and uh, if you're interested, sign up at patreon.com slash GameZilla Media uh, to become a uh, patron of our network. And uh, yeah, it definitely means a lot to us. We couldn't do it without our patrons. Absolutely. What he said. But Chops, I think it's time that we have to uh, go ahead and sign off here today. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, pause today's episode, but we'll see y'all next time when, when the legend, legend continues. continues.